Hello and welcome to Grace Life Duras. We are a gospel-centered church family focused on reaching the unreached and making disciples. We pray that this teaching will help you to grow in your relationship with Jesus and discover more of the reality of Christianity. Hello beloved. So we continue on with our series on the nature of God. And uh, this week I want to speak to you about a radically good God. So once again I want to remind you that we are building a case. If we want to speak about the nature of God, the sovereignty of God, the image of God, and we want to get into the scriptures, we cannot possibly do that in half an hour. We have to go through it slowly. And we have to take several weeks to look at it because it is God. We are talking about God, the infinite, um, the incredible, the unending God of the universe. Like you can't just speak about him for half an hour and now we understand his nature. And so please do bear with us, go through the series. I want to encourage you, if you haven't listened to the first uh, two teachings, uh, please go to it, two or three teachings. If you ha um, have maybe listened to this one, but you've missed out on others, this will be a case that you build, teaching by teaching. And so precept upon precept, that's how we're teaching it, so that we can really get into it and really establish a good foundation so that that foundation would um, strengthen your faith and your belief and transform your life to lead to boldness in your relationship with God so that you too may experience the reality of your Christian faith. So let's pray. Father, I thank you that right now, right in this moment, wherever anyone's listening to this, you are there and your spirit is there. And whether people are listening to this who don't believe yet, and whether there are those who do believe, I thank you that you are the same. And that I, I pray for every heart that's listening to this to be open to the reality of the truth of who God is. That we will let go of our experiences, what we knew, what we heard before our hearts, um, or e even our pictures of who you are, God. And that we will really say, God, I want to know the truth, and I am open to listening to the truth. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you that you are the spirit of truth and that you bring this truth through the word into our hearts. Amen. Wonderful. So once again, I want to remind us of the scripture that we've kind of looked at continuously. There's a few of them, but the very first example is the example of the treasure and the field. So you know that uh, in scripture, it gives us this example of a man who finds in, it says the kingdom of God is like a field, a treasure that is found in a field by a man. This man sells everything he has and goes and buys that field for the treasure. So I want to remind you why we're using that example. If we want to know the image of God, if we really want to know who God is, if we want to know his nature, then we have to see the Bible like that field <clears throat> and the treasure like discovering the true nature of God. So we're going to start, first I explain to you who God is, and then we're going to go back. And, and with that, it means you have to be willing to say, I'll sell everything I knew before, and I'll let go of that, and I'll put it aside. Even the scriptures that are difficult, even the scriptures that don't make sense, even the things that maybe I grew up with, or things I experienced, or things people say, even Christians say, I will let that go for now, and I will just focus on the treasure, because this is an upside down treasure hunt. 
Normally in a treasure hunt, you find the treasure at the end, but in the story, the man finds the treasure at the beginning. So Jesus is trying to show us something. And so we start with first, can we believe that God is good? We have to start there and we have to build the case in the scripture strongly for the goodness of God. And from that place, through the eyes of Jesus and the revelation of Jesus, because Jesus is the final revelation of who God is, we now can go back to the scriptures and find, we find the true image of God. We find who he really is, even in the difficult scriptures. And then we also discover that some of our experiences had nothing to do with God. We might have thought so, but it wasn't true. And so we are after truth because if we are really seeking God, we must be seeking truth. And truth, we know that what we know about the truth will set us free. So maybe it is challenging, but I want to encourage you and I want to promise you that I will get to the difficult scriptures, maybe not all of them, but the most of them to equip you to go to them as well. But also second to that, that I want to challenge you to please let go of some things. I know it can be challenging, but the truth will set you free. Okay, so I want to start with this question. If someone was to ask you this question, how would you answer? Uh, would you like an average life, a good life, or a radical life? Would you like an average life, a good life, or a radical life? So if your answer is that I just want a good life, that's great and um, welcome. We are not excluding you. However, I believe that the scriptures is and the Bible is, is showing us that we could actually ask God for a radical life. That the life that Jesus came to give us when he says in John 10, 10, that he came to give us life and that abundant life, meaning the life of God himself. He is actually making a call for a radical life. And if you do want a radical life, it means you're going to have to believe something radical because you see, no matter what you believe, your actions will always prove your belief. We cannot consistently act differently than what we believe. We can still fake something for a moment. We can fake being friendly. We can fake being a certain way. But in the end, we will always go back to what is our true heart belief. And this is super important. If we want a radical life, which is that which God has actually, is that which God is actually offering us, his kind of life is a radical life. If we really want a radical life, then the only way to have it is to be radically saved by a radical savior that is willing to be uh, willing and able to radically empower us. And when we believe God and the goodness of God, you become radical, radical for him, radical for his kingdom, radical for his message and mission. And his goodness is radical. And that sets us up for a radical life. Okay. Now, I think I've used the word enough, but I'm going to do it again. To believe in the radical goodness of God propels your life away from sin. And we will get into all of that in the teachings to come. But it really does position you in a realm of supernatural. And if you believe in the radical goodness of God, get ready because people will persecute you. There will be people who get upset with you. There will be people who say mean things to you um, because you believe in the goodness of God. That's why I'm building a case. That's why we're going to look at it week by week for several weeks because we need to be going into the scriptures and we need to be able to know in our hearts really that I believe this 
based on scriptures. Okay, so um, it is sometimes difficult to believe that God is radically good and only good. Why? Well, if you're not a Christian or if you're new to Christianity, then a great part of why it's difficult to believe it is because of what we see in the world. We see damage, we see brokenness, we see horrible things happening. I mean, if a hurricane or an earthquake hits or something tragic hits, we normally say it's an act of God. But I want to remind you that is what the world calls something they don't understand. That is not God. Then in the world, we have things like karma. The good you do will be back, will come back to you. The bad you do will come back to you. Or yin-yang, you know that little sign, the little circle normally, that has part of it white and a little black dot and then part of it black and then a little white dot. And what do we think? We take these images into our relationship with God or we associate it to this God and we say, oh, he must also be good, but there's a little bit of evil in him because in evil there's also a little bit of good. And then the other thing we see in the world predominantly, in especially in people who say we are spiritual, we just want a spiritual experience, is that it is all about self. It's actually got nothing to do with God. Although it's this um, statement that it is a godly form of godliness, if you really go and look at the root of it, it doesn't produce any life and it doesn't produce any love. So it's all about self. And so then what happens is we need to, I need to challenge you from the beginning If this is you and this has been your influence that's been affecting your view of God, I need to challenge you by reminding you God is holy. Now, don't switch off. Let me define that word for you. Holy means that God is set apart. The word holy means something is set apart. It is something different. God is different. He is not like the world. He is not into karma. He is not into self-centeredness. He is not into yin-yang. And he is not into earthquakes and hurricanes to prove a point. That is not who he is. So first of all, we must start with this, that God is holy. Therefore, he is different and set apart. He is not like us. Now, if you've been a Christian for some period of time, the reason why you struggle to understand or believe the radical goodness of God can also be because of what we see in the world, but sometimes it's because of what we see in Scripture. Sometimes it's because we simply don't understand the Scripture in the way we should. I was there and still, I'm still being challenged with things I see. However, I'm not where I used to be. And I cannot claim to have all the answers, but the answers I have have radically transformed my life and has established me in my relationship with God and enabled me to minister to others who go through horrible things. As a Christian, for many years, I've heard some horrible things. I've heard people blaming God for things that had nothing, nothing to do with him. I've myself in personal experiences been through as a family who got divorced, a, um, a very bad divorce in a young age. People with good intentions would say things about God that's completely wrong, completely wrong. And it just set my life up for such abuse with regards to who I am and who God is. And so my challenge to you today, if you've been a Christian and you're struggling to really, really believe that God is radically good, I want to challenge you and say a lot of that comes from the fact that we don't really understand him the way we should through scripture. And so be open and be willing to let go of some of that and say, okay, God, show me. Best example I can use of this is um, 
Many times things like this happen. You will see something bad happening. For example, a guy decides to get drunk, get his get in his vehicle. A single guy, he drives drunk, hits a other vehicle, and a whole family dies, but he lives. Okay. After that, he goes to jail. In jail, he meets a Christian. He becomes a born-again believer. And he even becomes a pastor of the dead many years later. And then what happens is that the testimony of this somehow starts to become that God did all of that so that he would come to know God. No, a million billion times no. God does not have to do evil for good to come. Okay? We'll get into all the scriptures that might be coming up in your heart right now, but God does not do evil so good can come. If if I, I just want to challenge you, start there. Start there and say, I choose to believe this. God does not do evil. He doesn't need evil so good can come. And we'll go into the scriptures as well because of that. And I'll just, um, to finish the example, although I'm jumping ahead, is is let's just think about it. Who decided to get in the vehicle and drive drunk? The man, not God. Who was the one who drove into the family? The man, not God. Who was the one who went to jail? The man, not God, for the consequence of his own sin, because sin pays its own wage. We'll get into that as well. But God is the one who turned it to good by the Christian sharing his faith with that man. But God had nothing to do with the fact that that family died. That man got in the vehicle drunk. That is the will of man and man using his authority on earth to do something that's completely against God's will. And so there is obviously no condemnation. If that's happened with you, there's no condemnation for that man. Praise God, he received salvation. But we can't go around and blame that on God because he had a divine purpose with that. No, that was man making bad decisions separate from God. Okay, so allow yourself to rethink what you used to believe as I've had to do for the last lifetime, 15, 16 years. And so these are some things we can know for sure in scripture. And it's made very clear to us throughout scripture that the the sameness of God, that God is the same. Hebrews 13 verse 8, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Malachi 3 verse 6, for I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, you, the sons of Jacob, have not come to an end. James 1 verse 17, every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. Numbers 23 verse 19, God is not a man that he would lie, nor a son of man that he would change his mind. Has he said and will he not do it? Or has he spoken and will he not make it good? Isaiah 40 verse 8, the grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of God stands forever. Psalms 102 verse 25 to 27, in time of old, you formed the earth and the heavens are the works of your hands. Even they will perish, but you endure. All of them will wear out like garments, like clothes, you will change them and they will pass away. But you are the same and your years will not come to an end. Psalms uh, 90 verse 2, before the mountains were born, or you gave birth to the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. My question, are these verses true? Yes, absolutely true. Then, if they are true, we must be able to prove them from the beginning of scripture, from Genesis, all the way throughout until the end of Revelation. Okay, so we must therefore when we go to these scriptures, start with interpreting the scriptures through salvation, through Jesus. 
Okay, so where are we going to start? I want you to imagine you've got three tiles in front of you. And on these tiles, there are different people standing there. Imagine I'm jumping from tile to tile as I explain this to you. So we must start at the beginning. And in the beginning, we are introduced first. We are introduced to God. In the beginning was God. God was before creation. Before anything was created, God was. Okay? Before time, God was. He is the same. Okay? And now we must also remember who is writing this in Genesis. Moses wrote this. He didn't write it when it was created. Moses wrote these books actually between 1,500 and 1,200 and 1,500 years after this happened. Okay? God had... He was on the mountain. God is speaking to him through oral tradition as well as God's inspiration. He is now recording the scriptures. Why is he doing this? Because since creation till that point where he's meeting on the mountain with God, um, the, the Israelites or the Hebrews back then have now come out of Egypt. There's been a lot of messed up images and ideas of who God is. And now God is saying, we need to write it down so you may understand who I am. And what does he start with? He starts with declaring of before anything was, I am. I am not the creation. I am before the creation. Okay. Remember that. Okay. Then I can't read through all of it. You can go through all of it. If you don't have a Bible, you can get it online. Just type in Genesis 1 to Genesis 3 and you'll see the scriptures I'm speaking about. We know that God creates. What's the very first thing he does? He creates and he starts by saying, speaking, let there be light. What was there before? Well, it says that it was void. It was dark. It was without form and God's spirit was moving over the surface. And the first thing God says, there we see the Trinity, the Word of God, the Spirit of God and God Himself. We see them there and we see that the first thing they do is they create light. Now they create and as you see, they create everything on earth and they create man and woman. We see that every time they create, they say, it is good. It is good. It is good. Powerful. So we see something very incredible about the true nature of God. And the best place to see it is right here. There's no sin on the earth. It's before sin has corrupted things. And we see what is God's will. How does he work? We see that he is a creator. We see that he speaks with power. Things happen. We see that he is a purpose giver or a life giver. We see that he gives life. And we see that he is the light giver. He gives light. And we see from the beginning the message of salvation. Moses is recording this and God is not going out to give us a full account of how he created the heaven and the earth. If he did that, we the letter would not be finished. Science is still catching up with what God did in those few pages, you know. So what is he doing? He's putting together a record that we could from the beginning see salvation. Yes, there's darkness, but in the darkness, there was God. And what does God's spirit do? He brings light and the darkness leaves. Wow, isn't that beautiful? Isn't that powerful? So we see God establishes here for us who he is. Then you see he creates man and woman. And how does he create them? Without going into detail, you can read it for yourself. He creates them in his image. In the image of God. What was, we, what was he doing here? Well, he was appointing people on earth to carry his image, this image of light 
the image of creation, of creator, the image of life, the image of goodness. He was creating man so that they would bear this image onto the earth. And he says to them, this all I have given to you, okay? You need to take care of it. He says you should dominate over it, rule over it. So now he also gives man authority. He gives them purpose. This is all yours. You need to take care of it. But he also gives them authority. He says to them, you have authority over the earth. So God has appointed man to to bring the image of God on the earth. So those three blocks, imagine the first block was God. What do we learn about God just in this? What I've said so far is that we learn that God is good. God is life. He was eternally. He is eternally. He is greater than the creation. He is a life giver, a purpose giver, a light giver, and he gives authority and that he wants to be known. He wants the whole earth to experience him in his goodness, in his light, in his life, in his purpose and in authority. Okay. And he gives. Isn't that cool? He gives. That is who he is. Okay. Now, the second block is man. God creates man. Doesn't that just show us God's desire for fellowship? Isn't it beautiful? His image is an image of fellowship because he is love. 1 John 4 verse 8. So now he creates man and he says to man, you've got a job to do. He gives him purpose. And in his created form, man has free will. I've heard someone challenge this, that man has no free will. Well, this, that, that, you can't believe that because that's false. Okay. We know this because in 1 John 4 verse 8, it says that God is love. Okay. Whoever, um, I can go and read it for us. Whoever does not love does not know God, for God is love. Okay? Now, love, for love, God is love. That statement means that everything about God, everything he's made of, is love. We have to view everything about God through his nature. What is his nature? Love. Okay? Now, we will get into the scriptures about judgment and wrath and all those things. But first, we must establish God himself declares himself and reveals himself as I am love. Now, for love to exist, free will has to be in place. I cannot force someone to love me, then it is not love. I cannot force someone to obey me, that is not love. I cannot or love cannot exist where free will does not also exist. And if man had no free will, if man had no will, why then tell him what to do? Why tell him to rule? Why tell him to work the earth? Why tell him to do that? Because he would intrinsically know. God is not interested in robots. He is a free will agent. God is a free will agent. And so if he's created us in his image, we are free will agents. So the second block we have here until now in the scriptures is man. The first is God. The second is man. And so we see that in this dynamic and in this relationship, God is established on earth. His will that man use their will to bring his image into the earth. And God has given this authority to man. Now, in this place where God instructs man to do this, okay, he also is saying to man, you have now the choice to live by faith. Where does he do it? Well, he says to man, eat of everything, go for it, enjoy freely, Okay, I've given you your work to do. You need to do your work and I'll help you with that. 
But there's one thing I want you to do, to not to do. I do not want you to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The tree of life is in the garden. We know that. But the only tree that they're not allowed to eat of is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now we see, if you go with me quickly, to 2 Corinthians. I want you to see 2 Corinthians 5 verse 6 to 8. I'm just going to hit the middle of that verse because of time. But it says there, um, verse 7, For we walk by faith, not by sight. You can go and read the context, 2 Corinthians 5. Okay, we know as believers, we walk by faith, not by sight. That does not mean we walk by blind faith. Our faith is based on evidence. However, our walk is not based on the sight, on the senses. Okay, so what is God doing? From the beginning, he establishes this. He says to Adam, you're going to have to believe me. Don't eat of that tree. He doesn't show him the consequences. He tells him the consequences. If you eat of it, you will die. But he doesn't show it to him. He just says to him, believe me, if you eat that tree, die. You will die. And what is he actually saying? Is that you have seen who I am. You can see me in creation. And you know that I am good. Now I am telling you, you're going to have to choose to believe it. Okay? And then we see now... That, as you know, in Genesis 3, for those of you who do, now another character comes into the scene. And the third character is the devil or the enemy, okay? The accuser of the brethren is also called. And we will get into that as well, the, or the, some of that. But we see that the third person who appears on the scene is the devil and he has his own will. And we spoke about this in the uh, previous teachings that Jesus openly declares his will by saying in John 10, 10, I have come to give you life. But he starts by saying, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and to destroy. There you know the will of the devil. He comes to steal, kill, and destroy. 1 John 3 verse 8, it says, the one who continues to, uh, who practices sin is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The devil sins from the beginning. The Son of God appeared, Jesus appeared for this purpose, to destroy the works of the devil. John 8 verse 44, you are of your father. Now he's speaking, Jesus is speaking this time, and Jesus is speaking to those who do not believe. And he says, you are of the father, you are of your father, the devil. And you want to do the desires of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. Whenever he tells a lie, he speaks from his own nature because he is a liar and the father of lies. So very important for us to go deeper into this. We must establish this. We know that in Genesis 3, the devil appears and he tempts Adam and Eve. Okay. And what do they do? They give into the temptation. What is the temptation of the thief? We know he's a murderer. He steals. He kills. He lies. When do you know if he's lying? When he opens his mouth. It's his nature to lie. And what does he do? He basically, I'm paraphrasing, but go and look at it for yourself. He says to the woman that God is not as good as she thinks. And that's the temptation. Do you really believe that God is that good that you could, that you could just believe him just like that? No, 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 no. Let me tell you what's the truth. And what's the very first thing that Eve does or what happens to Eve? Eve sees that the fruit is good. Look at that. She moves from faith into works. And now she establishes her own goodness, her own kingdom on earth by taking of that fruit and eating of it. So what is she saying? Actually, I think maybe this other voice, the voice of the devil, the liar is true. 
that God is not as good as he is, and I am going to choose to believe that voice. And in the partaking, when they ate together, they fell. Oh, I don't want to call it fall because they didn't fall. They purposefully took it. And from that place, we see now something enters into the earth that was never supposed to be there. We see death. After that, destruction. We see killing. We see these walls of these three. Remember the three tiles. Now these walls become so entangled together that it's difficult to tell them apart. Okay? The world is thrown into a mixed atmosphere of combating wills, combating wills, darkness and light, God's will, man's will, and the devil's will. So what we need to know now, what I want to establish you on, and I promise you we'll get into this way more, there's so many more scriptures and we're going to get into it, is one, God has a will. His will is good. His will is life. His will is to give us purpose, to give us life, to give us light, to give us hope, to give us salvation. And Man has a will, and God's will for man was to carry his image into the earth. But man didn't believe. Mankind chose not to believe the goodness of God and establishes their own kind of kingdom on earth. And then we also have the devil. And the devil's will is always to steal, kill, destroy, murder, lie, because that's who he is. So if you can get this clearly in your establishing your heart, You know what this is going to do. This is going to establish you on a sure foundation in your relationship with God so that you may know, first of all, what is, who is God? Secondly, where's your authority as a believer or even as an unbeliever on the earth? And we're going to talk about the differences. And then you are going to know as well how the devil works because he doesn't change. There's no light in him. You know, he doesn't change. And so my prayer and my deepest desire as we get into this more and more is that as we go through it and as we get deeper into it, that that you will truly see who God for who he is and that you will be able to see, oh, wow, I have a will and I can decide and I have to make a decision. I have to decide whose side am I on because um, we are called to bring the kingdom of God onto the earth and into the earth and that happens through salvation that salvation can only come through Jesus, not through our good works. And then there's another will, the will of the devil, who we don't need to be scared of, but we do need to know how he works so we can resist him and see God's kingdom come. You can find more of our free teachings on our website, www.gracelife.co. And if you're ever in the Duras area, we invite you to join us for one of our gatherings. Our aim is to help you discover Jesus, find family, and experience life. To contact us or to find out where and when we meet, visit our website www.gracelife.co.